Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. Hello and welcome to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umar Rusanda Amadou. Tonight I'm here with Akosia Otre. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, Ghana's debt to GDP reaches 93.5%, the highest ever in 30 years. Meanwhile, the central bank has increased the prime rate to 28%. Tonight we analyze the economy of Ghana for you and ask if things will ever normalize. Also, coming up on Eyewitness News, in 24 hours from now, the government's debt exchange program would have expired. At least the ultimatum to, not ultimatum, but the request to bondholders. But will there be another extension or the deal can finally be clenched with the IMF? That's the question we are asking here on Eyewitness News. Stay with us for that story and others on 97.3 CTF. And we also have business news coming up later. And Michael has the latest headline. Despite government's good for oil policy, the Chamber of Petroleum Consumers Ghana Cooper predicts prices of fuel are likely to go up by 7% soon and the Ministry of Trade and Industry reassures of new taxes on locally manufactured vehicles. That's Michael Ogbodu from the business desk of CTFM and CDTV. He'll be back in 50 minutes. Eyewitness News is interactive from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. You can join the conversation on WhatsApp, 0549-986-996. Send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom. Alternatively, go on Facebook. We are live on Facebook. Drop your message under the comment section. Across Ghana, we are on number of affiliate stations. Premier 100.5 FM in Takradi, as well as Beach 105.5 FM, also in Takradi, and Sky Power 93.5 FM, also in Takradi. In the Sunyani area, we are live on Greener 95.9 FM. Also in Kumasi on Orange 107.9 FM. In Somania, we are on Wright 90.1 FM. In the Aplau area, we are on Holy 98.5 FM. We are in Yendi on Dasuma 99.1 FM. In Zuarungu on Wed FM 88.3. And in Wah on Bugli Radio 88.6 FM. Do let us know how and where you are listening to us from and what issues you want to talk about eyewitness news is broadcasting live from Adabraka in Accra. My name is Umaru Sandabad here with Akosia Ochi. Let's settle for details of our stories now. And the first one has to do with a number of issues that the Bank of Ghana has been announcing. Akosia has a story. The Monetary Policy Committee of the Bank of Ghana has increased the monetary policy rate by 100 basis points to 28%. The the prime rate, which is of interest to businesses, signals the rate at which the central bank will lend to commercial banks. It also subsequently influences average lending rates on loans to individuals and businesses. Here's the governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ernest Addison, highlighting the reasons for the increase in his address to the media. The concerns being expressed in the public domain relating to high government expenditures have been addressed in the SLA and reflected in the 2023 budget. The SLA is also contingent 
on the domestic debt exchange program and external debt restructuring, which when concluded and the necessary financial commitments obtained, would allow the presentation of the SLA to the IMF board. The MPC believes that these measures will help restore fiscal and debt sustainability and bring down inflation as well as help stabilize the currency. In the interim, the MPC sees the need to remain vigilant and moderate liquidity in the system to underpin the macroeconomic adjustments taking place to drive inflation on a downward path. Under the circumstances, the committee decided to increase the policy rate by 100 basis points to 28%. That was the governor of the Bank of Ghana, Dr. Ernest Addison. Professor Peter Kwote is an economist and he's with the University of Ghana. He's joined us on the line now to help us make sense of what the central bank boss has just said to us. Prof, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Good evening to you and to your discerning listeners. Good evening. Um, first of all, what does the monetary, okay, the monetary policy committee, we know what that is, of the Bank of Ghana, but when it says that it has increased the prime rate, what does that mean? Who who benefits from an increase in the prime rate or who loses from an increase in the prime rate? And what does it mean if it goes up to 28%? Yeah, the policy rate signals to the uh, banking sector, the financial institutions, uh, government financial intentions, and if there is a need to borrow from the central bank, uh, what a trend should be. An increase means they are likely to pay more they should resort to the central bank uh, for liquidity. Similarly, this translates into higher cost of lending, with the other rates also adjust accordingly. And let's be reminded that most of these rates are sticky downwards, and they are very flexible upwards. So when there is an increase in the policy rate, you see banks uh, quickly adjusting their rates. But when there is a decline, uh, there is some inertia, in doing so. When this happens, uh, mostly the central bank would like to mop up excess liquidity. You know, all the financial transactions that happens in the banks and the other financial institutions are monitored by the central bank. So they know how much liquidity in the system, how much cash is in the system, and therefore would move the policy rate in anticipation of mopping up excess liquidity. Uh, in addition, uh, the rate is adjusted based on inflation expectations, based on exchange rate movements and expectations, as well as the economic activity, level of economic activity, whether it is overheating or is slowing down. So having done this, um, it's likely the banks would also adjust the upwards and it will mop up excess liquidity. Let's bear in mind that because of the debt exchange, um, some people have held their money is in cash, in more liquid form than sending it to the bank, and many other things that have happened. So there's more liquidity in the system. And also even with the bank, there's quite a high level of liquidity with the bank. And if that is not mobbed, they could use this to purchase foreign currency and put more pressure on the dollar. Does it mean it will be more expensive to borrow now? 
Yes, it, it will be. That is if the bank um, also adjusts their lending rate. Um, but, you know, the other factors that goes into uh, determining the cost of lending, but, but it's likely the banks would also adjust their lending rate accordingly. Uh, let's also note that inflation is on the increase. Um, the latest figure we saw was over 50%. So in order to fight inflation, more purposes liquidity, the central bank had to adjust the policy rate. I see. So you've explained that the central bank is doing this as a mop-up exercise, but is it part of a grand scheme uh, to ensure we have a good program for the IMF uh, to, to support? Could that be the grand plan, or this is in a way to react to other challenges we have in the economy by the central bank? Yeah, it's, it's a proactive way of reacting to things that are likely to come. Not necessarily to satisfy the IMF. The FLA has been signed already with the IMF. So the things that IMF expects from government has been enshrined in that and also factored into the budget. You know, so, um, but when it comes to this, central bank has to always be proactive, not reactive. And when it sees that inflation expectations are on the rise, if you see that there's excess liquidity in the system, it fights that by adjusting the policy rate and using other measures. An increase in the reserve requirement, for instance, will ensure that banks will have less money to lend rather than uh, put to the, uh, or deposit with the central bank. So this is proactive and preemptive and is positive, you reckon? So certainly it is proactive. The only challenge is that sometimes when you increase the policy rate, lending rates go up, industry would have to pay more. Manufacturing, businesses, individuals who borrow will have to pay more. So they have some negative effects on businesses. But you also have to um, put that side, side by side with uh, inaction. If you don't do anything and there is excess liquidity and uh, individuals, banks, firms, or whoever uses this excess liquidity to buy forex, it will put more pressure on the exchange rate. And you know what happens when there, there is high depreciation of the currency. It goes back to affect businesses. So you ought to gauge this carefully and react accordingly. I see. But it means ultimately that people are having to or going to have to tighten their belts further because it will trickle down to the ordinary person, wouldn't it? It will certainly trickle down. But also if the exchange rate is kept in check, um, with this policy, if the exchange rate doesn't depreciate uh, rapidly, then, of course, poor prices will not uh, increase significantly or might not increase at all. If this, the exchange rate is kept in check, import values uh, will not increase. So, again, where you pay more by, by borrowing, but uh, your cost of living in terms of import of goods and services, uh, purchase of fuel and many other things will also remain stable. So, the next effect depends on whichever uh, is higher. Let me see into the uh, forex matters now, since you've raised that. The government's agenda to deal with the depreciation of the CD saw it going to, you know, cut a deal or have a deal with um, a group of persons or persons who are willing to give us their oil for our gold. The government says that is going to reduce the pressure on the CD. 
We've seen the first consignment arrive. Even though nothing significant has happened at the pumps, the ultimate plan is to check the, the depreciation of the CD. From where you sit and the analysis that you make, do you think so far it has been a positive impact on the CD, this uh, gold for oil exchange? And do you think ultimately it's going to uh, help stabilize the CD? Well, from what the experts tell us, how much we require to import oil in terms of dollar uh, equivalent is quite high. So if there's a policy where uh, you rather use your commodity, uh, export commodity, to buy oil so that you put less pressure on your limited reserves, I, I think it's a good step. Um, except that we've just received one consignment with early days yet. Uh, the frequency of doing this is what is going to determine whether we see uh, marginal or major or significant changes in, in, in poor prices. So far, it's just one um, out of the many that we, we import on a monthly basis. So I, I believe if, if we do this very well and the frequency of getting such uh, imports coming, then we are likely to see more effects at the pumps. But otherwise, if a one-off, a one-off shoot of, of such policy, then we will not feel the impact as, as would have expected. What else would you advise a BOG to start focusing on? So this is one, the, the good for oil is one um, solution. This monetary policy rate being increased is another solution. What other options can the BOG explore uh, in the grand scheme of fixing the economy? On the fiscal I think, side. Um, Yes, the, the DOG should look at the enforcing the exchange um, control, ex, ex, exchange um, act. In, in other words, you will find that there's a lot of black market activities going on. There's a lot of informal trading of the currency and also pricing of goods in dollar over dependence on the dollar, etc. There are laws governing foreign exchange. And if we should enforce this carefully, I believe that would also help in stabilizing the city. It is rather unfortunate that we have foreigners come in, come and trade, come and buy our limited uh, forests and, and take them out easily because we have porous borders. But if, if we enforce this carefully, I, I believe it would also sanitize the system and help reduce the fluctuations that we see on the exchange market. It looks like uh, they are major player. The uh, black market has become a major player, and uh, sometimes they hold and cause artificial strategies. And that's the noisy part of the market. If we are able to handle that, that, that will be good. Then central bank to continue supplying more dollars to the BDCs as well as to, to the bank so that we would have significant amount of forest to, to cushion us when it comes to import. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Prof. My pleasure. That's Professor Peter Corte. He's an economist with the University of Ghana. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF, and we're coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Another story that we have that we are looking at is the our debt stock, how much we have borrowed as a country. The figure is at 575 billion Ghana cities. Now, to translate that into how much revenue we generate as a country, which is what they call the GDP, how much we are worth, our debt to our worth in terms of GDP ratio is 93.5%.
I would uh, have someone on the line who will help you make sense of that more when we return. Please stay this Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We're broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. Um, the government put forward a debt exchange program, uh, which it said was voluntary and people were supposed to sign on. Well, people have decided not to sign on, and for three consecutive times, the government had had to extend the expiry date. The next expiry date is 31st January 2023, which is tomorrow. There's a group of individual bondholders that has been fighting, and I'm using that word advisedly, the government, saying, touch not my bonds. One of the people who put this group together is um, Martin Kwebu. He's a lawyer, but he's also doing this particular thing, leading a number of uh, individual bondholders. There's even a mass action that he plans to have in court. I don't know if he has started the case already. Let's ask him. Counsel, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, Umaru. Have you opened your, your, your case in court yet, or was, is this a threat for now on going to court? It's a threat for now. We are trying to exhaust all the avenues for mediation, so we haven't gone to court yet. Okay. And uh, I think we are largely done, uh, because on Friday the finance minister gave us a firm promise that government will honor its obligations to us. So meaning that the existing bonds are as good as they were. So nothing has changed. You say. All right. So, Wait. Fact, so, so let's just try and get understand it. Your, your decision for raising hell was that you did not want individual bonds to be touched. And this is because the president in his address to Ghanaians had vowed that there will be no haircut on individual bonds. The finance minister's uh, announcement on Boxing Day, 26 December last year, uh, sort of did a U-turn on the president's position, and you did not agree with that. So clarify for us what the government wanted to take from you that you were refusing, and whether it means now that the government will not take this at all. Excellent. Umaru, good. So on the eve of Christmas, 24th, that's when the finance minister came with the announcement that individual bondholders were going to be included in the domestic debt exchange program. Yes, so this is what it is. So he said it is voluntary. We all understood from the circumstances that no, uh, it wasn't properly voluntary. Like somebody is referred to it as voluntary by force. Because at that time, we had been told that, hey, if you didn't sign up to this domestic debt exchange program, the bonds will be worthless. Yes, that's it. You know, John Kumar publicly made such a statement. Yes, that government would default, etc. And then, uh, you know, so subsequently, even Gabi also made such a statement. So all those things fed into the uh, atmosphere, okay, and created a lot of fear and panic amongst bondholders that, hey, government was going to default. So even though on the eve of Christmas, when the finance minister brought the amended program, 
he said, oh, it is voluntary. We all, as I said, based on the context, everybody understood that it was kind of practically compulsory because they were saying that the newborns would be better than the old ones. Not just better, the newborns would be the ones to be used. The old ones would be worthless and all those. The government would default, etc. And so, Omaro, and what is in the newborns? The newborns see, seek to make bondholders far worse off. Bondholders will be losing about 60 to 80 percent of the value of the bond. That is what this new uh, new uh, program seeks to do. Number one, so this year there wouldn't be any coupon payment, zero, zero, no interest payment for 2023, and then 2024 only five percent. Then uh, when it comes to the capital, because your money is due. Next year, they give you just 15% of the capital. The, the principal sum, yeah, I'm calling it capital, but maybe you should call it the principal sum you invested. So if you gave government, let's say, 10,000 Ghana, then, and it's due next month. Next month, February, lots of the bonds will be due, I think at least 4 billion or so. Uh-huh. So if it is due next month, February, they say, oh, no, no, government has no money, so you'll get any money. Then next year, if it's 10,000, they give you 15% of the 10,000. The following year, another 15%, that's 2025. Then 2026, 14%. So if your 10,000 will be paid to you, like you say in Ghanaian English, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Just like the way they say themselves, they've been slow. Kukwasa, kukwasa, kukwasa. That's what they propose to do. So who wants such a bond? Who wants such a bond? So that's how come that uh, bondholders said, no, 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 Adabraka, they are not interested in the new bonds. They just want to hold on to what they are uh, holding now. That's the existing bonds. And so, thankfully, last Friday, the finance minister gave that firm promise that government will honor, right? So, meaning that individual bondholders don't have to sign on to the new program. That's it. All right. So now that you've been having discussions with government, you even had a committee, a technical committee that you set up to go into the nitty gritties. What have you been able to? I'm sure you met each other halfway, or you've had everything you want. Oh, um, no. It wouldn't be that we've had everything that we want because let's not forget. As long as the domestic debt uh, exchange program is going on, everybody is affected. So even excluding individual bondholders alone doesn't mean that that's it. Don't forget, lots of us are shareholders of the banks. So yeah, the banks you see, lots of us have shares. Lots of us. So you see that the banks have signed up to the program. So invariably, we are going to suffer a diminution in dividends and etc. Right? And that apart also, the technical committee you mentioned, when we went to the committee, we came up with a paper. That showed how government can cut down expenditure. You remember mm-hmm. one of the strongest arguments we presented before we eventually met the finance minister was that government should cut down capital expenditure and some of the recurrent expenditure too. So we did that advocacy for about a week, a little over a week, yes, before we eventually met the finance minister, about a week and a half. So by that time, that argument had resonated with the whole nation. Everybody understood and accepted that, look, the way to go was to cut down expenditure. We all know how the government is overbloated, so many presidential staffers, ministers, the gas gasoline, V8, all those things, right? Mm-hmm. And so 
we showed that, look, some of these things have to go, and the roads have, some of the road projects have to be suspended, at least for a year, and all that. So when we went in, then he said, okay, you know what? Go to the finance minister when we met him. He said, okay, I'm setting up a technical committee. Go there and show in further details how you think government can cut down expenditure. And we came out with that beautiful document. He himself accepted that, wow, something uh, diligent had been done. And he even said Ghanaians have to commit to use that uh, technical report to see how we can help, uh, you know, adjust our uh, this, uh, expenditure. Yes. So that is the context in which we went, created that report. And so when we came back, then he said, okay, individuals, what I'm giving you is that government would honor your bonds. Yeah, government will honor your bonds. And so for us, that on, is good. On, yeah, but honor them when? I believe the issue that many had, well, took issue with the government was the duration, which extends all the way to 15 years at the most. Um, has the government then reversed and said that for individual bondholders, what you currently are subscribed to holds and that this soppy soppy that you talked about would not affect individual bondholders? Has that commitment been made to you? Absolutely. Absolutely, Umaru. And thankfully, uh, today, graphic, at least I read uh, one online. You would see the story. The minister mentioned it. Except, you see, Instead of it to be the big headline, because he's still entreating uh, bondholders to come onto his program, of course, naturally, the story is skewed more towards trying to encourage individuals to come onto the program. But in there, it's expressly stated that the bonds will be honored, there will be no punitive measures against uh, bondholders who refuse to sign up to the DDEP. Yeah, it's very clear. I read the story. But as I said, because Many things were said to entice uh, bondholders to come onto the new program. You see that it kind of seeks to eclipse the firm promise that government will honor the bonds. Very well. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it. So tomorrow, for someone who is listening to you who was supporting you, what should they or should they not do? Yeah, so just continue. Don't sign up because our bonds are definitely better. Uh, the finance minister looks like he may bring something up, but no matter what he's going to bring, it won't be better than what you are holding now. Because the context is that government uh, is in the dire street. Government wants to extend the maturity of these bonds. So you are going to lose the value of your bonds. So there's no way the finance minister can make a deal and make you a deal which is better than what you have. That offer cannot be better than what is in the individual's hands. So really... It doesn't uh, appear individual bondholders want to sign on to the new program. But we'll say government, yes, has uh, haven't gone in and reached a deal with the banks, insurance companies, and the rest. This is individuals is also dealing with indirectly because we own shares in those banks. So we are also already supporting government. Yes, government should look at it. And also, secondly, Umaru. The cost of living crisis we are suffering now, the high prices, price of cocoa from one city to three cities, kosher gone up, sugar and everything. What we are suffering now is part of the burden sharing. So it shouldn't be made to look like individuals are just asking to be exempted, exempted, exempted. No, we are burden sharing. We are all suffering the high prices. You see the uh, dollar, uh, this in back to around 13 cities. 
You see, fuel is going to go up again, and etc. So we are all suffering it. So it can't be said that individuals have suffered nothing. No, okay. we pawned the brand. You want the government to tighten its belt. I want us to listen to the president because he is a the, he. It is his government. So you have made. I'm not sure you made any concessions. You were you were you were adamant. You insisted on what you wanted to be done, but you also wanted the government to. Uh, reduce expenditure or cut down on expenditure. Mm-hmm. I want us to listen to the president, and I'll ask you to comment before you take leave of us. Uh, the president, Anakufado, spoke during a meeting with chiefs from the Western region. Mm-hmm. Staff level agreement, which is the first step towards a full agreement with the IMF. restructuring of our debt, both domestic and external. So that we can have a more secure set of funding for the future. Projects, capital projects, Ekoso Ghana there. Ekwembi asu, as you say, Eshada Yeho, Nyefema, Ninina, Tumikoso, Shasiayayano, Tumituaso. There will be some temporary delays whilst we're making the agreement with the IMF. So that's the president and the speaking tree. Summary, he's suggesting that they went to the IMF, uh, they at least secured a staff level agreement for now, but which also requires that they should do the debt restructuring. Uh, an important thing he talks about there, Martin um, Webu, he says that capital projects will have to continue, albeit delayed a bit, because of the negotiations that are ongoing. Is that what you wanted to hear from him, or you wanted more? Ah, uh, more. Yeah, more would be better because when the president says capital uh, projects will continue as they are, then it, it would appear that they are not willing to cut down. Yeah, because from what we've presented, that is one of the ways to be able to create space so that individual bondholders will be paid. So when the president says that the capital projects will go on, so Omaru, in the budget, it's about 27 billion, and out of the 27, 16 is from the uh, foreign funding. Then uh, about 5. Point something billion is domestic, non-oil, non-oil. We've asked for this to be cut so that space will be created. Well, okay, if um, the capital projects will go ahead, then it means that maybe it's a recurrent expenditure that they will cut the fuel, the stationery, the other things. Okay. Yeah, well, let's see. But at least we've analyzed the budget well, and we've seen that something must give. Something must give. It can't be that government can spend everything in the budget. Remember that the budget is just authorization to spend. There is no money in it as we speak. Of course, we've collected taxes and everything. So, But what I mean is that not all the money earmarked in the budget there has been realized. We are now going to collect taxes. We are now going to get a lot of the money. 
So, uh, yes, the president is hopeful that they will spend, but it's really, it's a bit not clear. Okay. Because the way he's speaking, it means it's as if everything will go on normal. But it's very tight. You mm. have to touch. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Let's leave it here for now. Thank you so much. That's Martin Pebu. He is a convener uh, of the group of um, individual bondholders that has uh, been negotiating with government on uh, how it's going to deal with their bonds. Another group, the Ghana Individual Bondholders Forum, has also been having discussions. There's an update that it has issued, signed in the name of Senor Jose, the convener, and it gives some recommendations to bondholders as of tomorrow. It says, if you intend to optimize your investments, maintain your superior original old bonds. Hence, do not sign up to the DDE. Do not harbor any form of fear of being punished for rejecting the DDE. The law is in your favor, and the Minister of Finance has been categorical in affirming your right by stating that your honor obligations under the old bonds and will not undertake any action to punish individuals who reject the DDE. If you feel compelled to support the DDE program for other reasons, please do not hesitate to sign on to the DDE. To support the turnaround of the economy, we encourage all not to lose confidence in Ghana's financial system. The continuous investments and savings of everyone is required to spare the growth of our economy. We urge every citizen to file their taxes and honestly pay up all obligations due. We all owe it to Mother Ghana to make things work. We are grateful to the finance minister and the government of the, for the cooperation extended us during this process. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. When we come back, we'll talk about our public debt and our debt-to-GDP ratio. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back to Eyewitness News. This is 97.3 City FM Broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. My name is Umaru Sanda. I'm here tonight with Akosia Autry. We are bringing you Eyewitness News. If you go to citynewsroom.com, our website, the leading story there is talking about our debt-to-GDP ratio. And the latest information is that our debt-to-GDP ratio is 93.5%. Joe Jackson is Director of Strategy and Business Operations at Dalex Finance. He's one of the persons who have been sounding the alarm bells to government for many years now. And he is involved in giving counsel to the government. And whether or not this counsel will be listened to, we do not know. But he has been giving counsel repeatedly uh, to government on how to get out of the trouble. We've just called him up tonight again to understand how we can get out of that. Joe, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Good evening, Mario. Good to hear from you. Uh, I, I'm just cautious about things that have been given... Uh, <laughs> Uh, advice, pa- public public advice, not not private advice. Uh-huh. Uh huh. When you, you whenever you speak I'm, on the radio, I'm, I'm that's advice. advice. <laughs> unsolicited, unrequ- un- unrequested, unsolicited, and untaken. <laughs> what does it mean when the statistics say uh, our debt to GDP ratio is ninety three point five, and that our public debt is standing at five? Hundred. Uh, let me get that figure here. Five hundred and seventy-five billion cities. What does it mean? Listen, it just means we owe a whole lot of money. That if you take all the money generated in Ghana in one year, 
by all of us, from the president to the lowliest member of the public, from Axim uh, uh, to Zanlerigu, whatever we, all the money in this country, every little bit, what we owe is 93.5% of that. That's what it means. Someone has just sent me a message saying that it could actually even be more because uh, total public debt is defined as central government debt, excluding state-owned enterprises and special-purpose vehicle debt. So the person says that um, other debts that we have, such as the Sino-Hydro deal, cocoa bills, energy sector payments, etc., are not necessarily captured. So the picture may be uglier if those things have been computed in there, correct? I think there's a really strong argument for that. To say the debt for which the government of Ghana is ultimately liable could be much higher than this. We're talking here about the debt that most probably has been contracted directly. But the debt that we are ultimately liable could be much higher than this. Okay, and where does that leave us? I mean, when I share this on social media, a few people have come to cynically say that uh, they want to calculate how much they are personally indebted so that they can pay the government and take a walk. <laughs> I know that's cynical, but is that a that's practical a thing? And I doubt whether it works like that. But, but, but practically, does it mean you and I are indirectly indebted? We are, de- we are indebted. We are in this country. When the government borrows, it takes it to parliament, and our representatives in parliament give their accent. So once that happens, you and I have borrowed the money. And no Ghanaian can exclude himself from this process. It is sovereign debt. It is debt that is owed by Ghana and Ghanaians. But I'll tell you what, it is not that sum that scares me. What scares me was a simple statement by the Minister of Finance at the launch of the Domestic Debt Exchange Program. What he said was that servicing the debt or paying the interest on Ghana's debt takes up 70%, sometimes as high as 100% of all the revenue that the government makes, of all our tax revenue. Explain that with practical example. I'll give you an example. So, Imaro, you owe. Let's say you earn 1,000 cities a month, and I just use that figure as an, as a, as an example. The interest of all your debt, of when all the people you owe come to collect their interest, not the principal, just the interest, it means that you have given up, by the time you finish, anything from 700 CDs to 1,000 CDs of all your income is gone. That's, That's interest alone. Interest alone. And this was by the Minister of Finance a few weeks ago 
when he was launching the domestic debt exchange program. In fact, it was one of the reasons why he said we need to subscribe to this domestic debt exchange program because the government cannot keep it up. That should scare you more than how much we owe in total. To be honest with you, there are countries whose debt to GDP is higher than us. But those countries spend, uh, spend a paltry 10%, 15% of all their income servicing the debt. We are now doing 70% and sometimes as high as 100% when you are paid and you pay your interest kaput. Anything else you do, you have to borrow. That we, is what you say. We have already been told that our debt is unsustainable. But the figures that keep coming just keep scaring us the more. The government is kindly wrestling with uh, individual bondholders in an attempt to get some more support before we go under the IMF program. That seems to be facing a lot of opposition. What do you reckon can happen now? Because tomorrow is a deadline for the bond. I mean, the groups that are fighting the the government have succeeded in getting lots of individuals to reject it, even though there are people who may do it. What happens in the next month or in the next two months? And what does this mean to our IMF plan? Well, a few minutes ago, I got a statement signed from the Individual Bondholders Forum, signed by um, Senor Jose, and I do believe it is correct. And effectively what it said was that the Ministry of Finance, after the large, last engagement, has said to the individual bondholders, you're holding a bond. If you decide not to sign up for the program, we will keep up to our part of the bargain for you individual holders. And that we will not default in our bag- original bargain with you. But we would like you to sign up. But if you don't sign up, nothing will be held against you. It was very categorical. And maybe it is a, 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 a diplomatic way to exclude the individual bondholders. Because now it is obvious that if you're an individual bondholder and you decide not to sign up, you will still get your money when it is due. Can the government live up to that, though? Because clearly it would be unable to honor that pledge or that commitment or that contract with you. That is why it came up with a debt exchange program. If the government had an alternative solution, it wouldn't have dangled that before us. What, that mean, what I'm trying to say is that the government practically cannot give you back your money, can it? Even if it wanted to. So if you don't sign on to the DDE, you've lost your money, essentially. Or... No, that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying the statement from the forum says that if you don't sign on to the DDP, you may not be able to sell your bond on the secondary market. But when it's time for the government to pay, the government will pay. My assumption is that the government is now going to undertake under activities, including reducing its expenditure to make up for the shortfall of individual bondholders possibly not joining this program.
Where can the government look? Or where else can the government look? Oh, remember that the Individual Bondholders Forum gave the government a, a, a really uh, a comprehensive um, document on where it could cut. And the IEA also did something similar. So I don't think the government is lacking in advice in where it should cut. Some of the issues are quite clear. Cut capital expenditure, cut the size of government, and this we've been saying for a long time. It is the will to do it, but there are definitely ways in which the government can cut expenditure and maybe spare the individual bondholders. And that's what I believe the document that just came out says. Very well. Let's leave it here and keep an eye and see what the government will do after tomorrow. Thank you for speaking to Azure. Thank you, Omaro. But uh, we thank God for small messes. If this is true and we've got an agreement, that means that we are one step closer to the IMF program and the doomsday scenario of a complete and total economic meltdown yeah, has receded a bit. We thank God for small messes. We thank you for giving us that assurance, sir. <laughs> That's Joe Jackson. He's, that, I mean, That's Joe Jackson who is director of strategy and business operations at Dalex Finance. This is Eyewitness News on ninety seven point three CTFM. Let's talk about um financial or our wastage in, in the in the the waste of our money or the wastage of our money. The Public Accounts Committee of Parliament has been looking or pouring through the documents that have been published by the Auditor General. And the James Avergy led committee has been uh, an effing number of things from that document. Um, Sugar has a story. The Public Accounts Committee of Parliament is complaining about the Electricity Company of Ghana's indebtedness to the Bwipa Authority, amounting to over $600 million. The Auditor General's report revealed that the ECG failed to comply with its monthly payment plan, thereby resulting in the outstanding debt as of December 31, 2022. Speaking at the Public Accounts Committee settings, the Chief Executive Officer of the Bwipa Authority, Kofi Jamisi, says efforts are being made to recover the money. I think that what the auditors say is very true. And uh, we are taking steps to ensure that ECG pays us, but it's becoming very difficult. But I'm happy to say that uh, many times the Minister of Energy does very well by asking Ministry of Finance to come to our aid sometimes. So we'll continue this negotiation and with the support of our minister, I think we'll be able to handle this matter. But it's really a problem. Kofi Jamesi is the Chief Executive Officer of the Bui Power Authority. Now, the committee also bemoaned the government's indebtedness to the Ghana National Petroleum Corporation, GNPC, which amounts to seven. $279 million. The Auditor General in its 2020 report cited the Ministry of Finance, Ministry of Energy, Tema Oil Refinery, Ghana National Gas Company and the Volta River Authority of defaulting in payment for services rendered by the GNPC since 2018. Speaking at the Public Accounts Committee sittings, a Deputy Chief Executive of the GMPC, Benjamin Akulache, says efforts made towards retrieving the funds have been unsuccessful. He accepts of the proceedings. We're actually overdue 
the auditors are saying that your inability to collect this money will affect your operations. So they have recommended to management to intensify your efforts in collecting this money. Have you been able to recover this amount of money from the GOG and then the GOG-related agencies? Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, the Ministry of Energy has made representation to the Ministry of Finance um, and it is being looked at as a mistake. What kind of representation that you made to the Ministry of Finance? The usual writing of letters to them, and I believe that my minister has met with the Minister of Finance on this issue. So it's very much... Um, you yourself, Minister of Energy itself, is also owing GAPC. Uh, <laughs> How can you write Minister of Finance for what? Minister have you, have your, you, Minister, have you paid your portion to GMPC? We are waiting on the Minister of Finance. Have you paid your portion to... We are still outstanding. Just say waiting. no, then you uh, continue. No, Mr. Chairman. This money is being owed since 2018. We got this 2018 account. They reported in 2020. We are 2023 now. You still haven't paid. How do you expect GMPC to operate? GMPC, uh, do you mean to say that this total amount is still outstanding? You want to know, so that we know what to report on. Yes, it's still outstanding. Now let's close the docket on the Public Accounts Committee sitting in Parliament because the Ghana Revenue Authority has arrested four business managers managers operating retail outlets in Accra for defaulting in payments of their value-added tax. The managers of China Mall, Sneda Shopping Mall, Palm Square, Second Cup Coffee Shop, all at Spintex, are to file their statements at a police station. The exercise forms part of the authority's measures to ensure that businesses do not default in payment of their VAT. The authority says a chunk of taxpayers have failed to file their returns through the authority's certified invoicing system, thus crippling the revenue collection for the state. The Commissioner of the Domestic Tax Revenue Division of the Authority, Edward Jamera, says they will continually embark on such swoops to ensure that the companies do the needful. Out of about 40 taxpayers that we are currently supposed to uh, issue the Commissioner General Satisfied Invoice, we have about eight of them who are not complying fully with the satisfied investment system. Out of the eight, we have various shops. Some of the shops are complying, some of the shops are not complying. But let me say that the, the sampling, the testing is ongoing. The, the few that we have done and the infraction that we, uh, we have seen is what we want to enforce. But as we move on, we will continue. But we are not going to tell you when we will be visiting. Our officers are out there checking. So as and when it comes to our notice, we will take the necessary action. That was the Commissioner of the Domestic Tax Revenue Division of the Ghana Revenue Authority, Edward Jamera. Finally, several shops and other property have been raised by fire that occurred at Medina Ritz Junction in Accra. According to eyewitnesses, firefighters noticed the incident during a routine check around 1 p.m. today and doused it after three hours. 
It is unclear what may have caused the inferno, but residents are attributing it to a resident who left their water heater on. A member of the public relations team of the Ghana National Fire Service, Alex Kinate, spoke to City News. Contrary to what people, people were saying, it was as a result of what we call station outlook. No one called our, our station. Our station from time to time looks to detect where there's fire and then swiftly responds. So as at 1.47, they saw the smoke. And then within two minutes, 1.49, they had got here. And it's rather unfortunate that no one within this area called or ran to our station to tell them. So when people, so our men had to do their own station outlook to detect the fire and then swiftly. It would have been much more dire than what we've seen here right now. So would advise people, especially in slum dwelling, to be more receptive to our men. When we came, uh, because it's used as residential and commercial purposes, there were different uh, items in there. We had gas cylinders in there. We had uh, deep freezers in there. And these things are very highly combustible and highly flammable or even highly explosive materials. So it becomes difficult for our men to get there. So we always advise people to try to be preventative rather than to uh, than correctional. So we advise people to be much more receptive when our men come to them for fire education. Alex Kinati is a member of the public relations team of the Ghana National Fire Service, speaking on a fire incident which occurred at Medina Ridge Junction in Accra. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obodu. Let's settle for the details. And now, the Chamber of Petroleum Consumers Ghana, COPEC, is predicting the price of fuel is likely to go up by 7%. Per COPEX projections, retail prices for petrol will see a marginal increase and sell at 14 CDs, 23 pesos, and diesel at 16 CDs, 22 pesos per liter. This is despite the government's introduction of and receipt of about 40,000 metric tons of fuel under the Good for Oil policy, which seeks to source cheaper fuel in exchange for gold through some form of a barter system. The Executive Secretary of COPEC, Duncan Amwa, has been explaining the projections. So yes, the international benchmarks are up and then secondly, the city is also fast depreciating once again. Um, and what this means is that from Wednesday, the 1st of February, which is the first window of February, prices for petrol diesel are likely to go up between 3 and some 7%. LPG is also likely to witness about 22% increase uh, on current uh, retail prices. Uh, it looks as though the challenges that confronted us somewhere in September last year, which saw fuel prices move up astronomically, uh, we've not been able to deal with it and that these challenges are staring us in the face again, first quarter 2023. Uh, the city would need to be dealt with again. International benchmarks, you also have bust, uh that we should have been processing fuel for to hold in order to take care of the bullish 
sentiments. Unfortunately, uh, we haven't found a solution to our problems. And what that means is that from Wednesday, the first day of February, Ghanaians are going to have to pay more for petrol, diesel and LPG. That was the Executive Secretary of the Chamber of Petroleum Consumers, Ghana, COPEC, Duncan Amwa. Now, the Acting Minister of Trade and Industry, Samuel Abdelajinapal, has indicated that there will be zero taxes imposed on all locally manufactured vehicles. The minister explained that this is to ensure that automobiles manufactured in the country are affordable for all. Speaking at the commissioning ceremony of the first locally assembled Suzuki Swift in Ghana by the Suzuki Motor Corporation, Mr. Dinapur said government is aggressively working to promote and integrate the aluminum and steel industry to help feed the local automobile industry. In addition to promoting the automotive industry, government is pursuing other aspects of its industrialization agenda. As you may be aware, we have, by acts of parliament, established the Ghana Integrated Aluminium Development Corporation, GIADEC, and the Ghana Integrated Iron and Steel Development Corporation, GISDEC, which incidentally is under the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources, a ministry I'm the substantive minister, to promote and develop here in our country integrated aluminium and iron and steel industries. These industries are expected to feed, are expected to feed the local automotive assembly and component manufacturing industry and ensure linkages to other aspects of our national economy. Yeah, the Minister of Trade and Industry, Samuel Abdelai Meanwhile, the Managing Officer of Suzuki Motor Corporation, Koichi Suzuki, said the company remains committed to strengthening its presence in Africa. Since uh, the introduction of the first model of Swift in 2004, it has become familiar to customers in 167 countries and areas around the world. And the total of 8.5 million vehicles have been sold until the end of 2022. In addition, Swift has been produced globally in countries like Japan, India, and Thailand. Now, thanks to the collaboration with Toyota Tsushima Corporation, we are able to roll off the first Swift assembled in Africa at TTMG, located in the Republic of Ghana. We are very, very pleased. We also hope this project will be a great trigger for the technology transfer and employment expansion for the Republic of Ghana. Finally, I hope the people of Ghana will become more and more attached, not only SWIFT, but also a wide range of SWIFT products. That was Koichi Suzuki, who is the managing officer of Suzuki Motor Corporation. Now, away from that, management of Telesel Group has assured the staff of Vodafone of no layoffs as it takes over the company. This follows the National Communication Authority's approval for the transfer of the 70% majority shares in the Ghana Telecommunications Company Limited, Vodafone Ghana, held by Vodafone International Holdings BV to Telesel Group. This report has the rest of the story. Vodafone Ghana had last year applied to the National Communications Authority to transfer 70% of its majority shares to Telesel, but this did not pull through after it failed to meet the regulatory requirements. Earlier this year, in a statement, the NCA later called for a resubmission following a careful evaluation of the application on various criteria and engagements with both parties. Speaking to City Business News, board chairman of Telesel Group, Nicholas Borge expressed delight at the progress made. 
Well, uh, yeah, we, we're very happy about it. Uh, it's been a year that we are talking with them, and uh, it's a year that uh, we, we believe very constructive year uh, to be able for us to fit to their needs. And today we are in a very uh, constructive state of mind with them and, and, and totally uh, in phase with them. However, since news broke about the deal, there has been an easy calm among the staff of Vodafone Ghana over their job security. But Mr. Borch stressed that there was absolutely no cause for concern. Not at all. Uh, we, we don't have any plan to lay off anyone or anybody in the staff. Uh, that's no, not the way we operate in Telesel. Uh, we prove it with uh, different uh, um, organizations that we have in different countries. We, 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 our plan is to keep everyone, uh, every employee of uh, Vodafone. That's very reassuring. So what is the plan then? How do you roll out your strategy with uh, the current existing staff? Yeah, well, it's a bit too early to say that. Uh, but uh, uh, there is certainly idea that we're going to put in, 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 uh, in uh, materialization. Uh, but let me prepare that uh, a bit further uh, because we're just in the closing phase right now uh, and we have time to, uh, to advance on that. That was the board chairman of Telesur Group, Nicholas Byrne, ending that report in an exclusive interview with City Business News. Now, finally, Fan Milk PLC, leading producer of nutritious and refreshing daily diary-based food products, has rewarded 69 agents and five key distributors through its Bonyachete Kessi promo. The company maintains that rewarding its trade partners for their contribution to delivering business growth remains part of its core values. Speaking on the sidelines of the presentation, the West African Managing Director of Fan Milk, Yuzio Bayton, assured consumers of continuous healthy foods. Today is a great day and it's a special day because it's a day where we are rewarding our trade partners. Um, trade partners is the name of the key distributors, the agents, the vendors, and the van sales uh, salesmen. And it's a great day because it is again the manifestation of our vision, which is to say there is no flourishing business without a flourishing society and economy. And we all know the importance of SMEs and distributors for big companies like us, but most importantly for the economy of Ghana. So it's our way of contributing to alleviate the pain and the difficulty in actually driving working capital by rewarding them with, as you have seen, tricycles, trucks, freezers. And this goes to tell you that Fan Milk has been here for more than 63 years and is intended to stay here. And that can only be possible when we have flourishing and healthy customers. I've spoken about also the need in Ghana to drive what I call the performance culture. A culture where people are rewarded, not because of the color of their eyes or the size of their smile, but people are rewarded because of the quality of the work, because of their performance. That was the West African Managing Director of Fan Milk, Yuzio uh, Baton. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Ubudu. Thank you for listening. As always, please stay safe. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Umaru Sanda Amado. Tonight on Point Blank, we talk about the National Democratic Congress, NDC. It was in the news last week after it fired its front bench in Parliament and replaced Sim. So the national chairman of the party, Johnson Asid Nketiah, says the leadership of the party had planned to reshuffle its parliamentary leadership as far back as 2021. Mr. Asidunkitia says the party held on to the decision in preparation for its internal election and the 2020 election petition. Speaking at a meeting with NDC supporters in London, Johnson Asidunkitia said the NDC as a political party is united behind the new minority leadership. Listen. NDC is not fragmented at all. It is still a very united party. The truth about... uh, Every decision is that uh, every change comes along with new gainers. So you definitely will have some reaction. But um, the change has been welcomed by majority of NDC membership across uh, the country. I guess even here, um, I was greeted with <laughs> reshuffle, reshuffle, reshuffle. So... Uh, it has brought some new excitement on the front of NDC. So NDC at all. Um, and the reports about 70 MPs uh, signing, uh, you know, evolution and, and, and all that, they are not accurate at all. We have 20 MPs, then later we got reduced to 40 MPs. And uh, eventually the press conference was attended by 25 MPs. And uh, a lot of them, even at that event, were calling to assure me that uh, they were there to witness what was happening and uh, not necessarily associating themselves with uh, the move. And as I was leaving Accra, there were a couple of MPs who had called into media houses to dissociate themselves from the move, even though their names were in the list. And so that is that about it. Uh, NDC is not fragmented at all. Um, I've already explained the motivation for the move, even though we are not bound to explain anything. Um, it is not a normal practice for uh, leaders to explain the reasons for their reshuffle. But uh, this is being democratic. And um, personally, I always, you know, account for decisions that I take. So when I take any decision, I try as much as possible to let everybody understand why those decisions have been taken. That is why I went to the extra length of uh, explaining the reasoning. They set up a new leadership of our parliamentary front because uh, some MPs lose out, others come on board, and so on. So we look at the the talents that we have, and based upon that, we establish new leadership. That has been the practice all over. This leadership ought to have been reshuffled somewhere in uh, uh, around March... 2021, we actually proceeded doing that. We came to a point, and I came out to explain 
to Ghanaian that because of our court case, we didn't feel like proceeding with uh, that work. And I indicated clearly that it was work in progress and that somewhere along the line we will come out to indicate to Ghanaians who our next leadership will be. And so I'm surprised that people were surprised about the move because uh, if you check my press briefings, somewhere in March 2021, you will see a video I made. I spoke at Joy FM and at City FM, and I indicated that the sorting out of our parliamentary leadership is work in progress, and that whenever we are ready, we would actually come out and announce the results. And so that is what we have just completed, and we've announced the outcome. And um, I've come out to also explain that when during my inaugural speech as the um, chairman of the party, I indicated that I was about to do total deployment of the human resources of the National Democratic Congress to position ourselves well towards the 2024 elections. So establishing the type of leadership you need to go into battle with in parliament is part of the deployment or redeployment. And so we are not finished yet. From here, we'll move to um, do several appointments. You know, the position of national treasurer and national deputy treasurer are done by appointment now. We have uh, two national vice chairmen to be appointed. We have um, all directors to be appointed and disciplinary committees and many more. So the work is not done yet at all. And then we'll take a second look also at the membership of our council of elders and fill in vacancies that have been created as a result of uh, the passing of some of them. So there is a whole gamut of uh, appointments that will be made. It's not just about parliament. So we are proceeding along those lines. And so that is it. Now, when you take a look at um, parliament, you realize that at any point in time, leadership is chosen based on the circumstances and the tasks ahead of us. The leadership that we have just changed, they've done their part. We needed them uh, at a time we chose them. We felt that uh, they were the, they possess the skill set that could meet the challenges as at that time. And they've discharged their work creditably. Now we are facing new set of uh, emerging challenges. And so 
it's only reasonable to go for a new set of leadership that possesses the skill set that will be able to discharge the responsibilities that have emerged because of the changing times. Today, every Ghanaian knows that going into 2024 elections, the key battlegrounds have already been defined and they have to do with the economy and the finance of the country. They will have to do with um, the energy sector and they will have to do with infrastructure or lack of it. And so if you are going to go into battle, experts in these areas to lead the charge. And so that is what we've done. Um, arguably, our best person in parliament, as far as the economy and finance is concerned, is Dr. Tufosin. Um, he, he used to be with you here. And uh, so we picked him from here <laughs> to Parliament, and uh, he has not disgraced you at all. He has, he has shown that actually he was trained in Great Britain, and he's been performing creditably well. And so um, he was identified as the person to lead um, the minority in Parliament now, and to lead the charge against MPP um, as far as the discussion of the economy and making proposals for better economic management uh, are concerned. So we needed him at the forefront. And then we chose um, Ama Kofibwa, um, who was also trained in uh, the U.S. and uh, has been our former minister for energy and so very well versed in matters concerning the energy sector and so he's going to be your or he is now your deputy minority leader and then another UK trained young man Kwame Aboja who was also picked from here um, he has also done so well in parliament and he's now your new um, chief whip, minority chief whip. And so these are some of the reasons. But, of course, even though these are the main reasons, there are other, um, if you like, advantages that have come alongside the changes. The new leadership reflects more of a regional balance than it used to be. Um, and then also, you see that uh, we have about four swing regions in the country. If you lose those swing regions, you cannot win elections in Ghana. Western region is one of them. Um, Greater Accra is one of them. Central region uh, is one of them. And then Brongahafo is also one of them. And so when you take a look at uh, the spread of the new leadership, you see that we have, uh, a, like, a general leading each of the regions. Um, Kofi Amabwa 
is uh, representing Western Region, um, Dr. Tufosin, Central Region. Um, you have uh, Ahmed Ibrahim, Bron Region, and then Honorable Doyo Ganza representing Greater Accra and all that. So the leadership as far as regional balance is concerned is more balanced than it used uh, to be. So that is it. I've been asked about the timing, 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 and the timing appears to be a concern. I'm yet to be convinced what is wrong with the timing. But uh, we believe that that is the best timing for those changes. In fact, we were running late with the changes. As I've told you, uh, we needed to have done these changes as far back as March 2021. We've got, we've, we've delayed for almost one year now. And the closer we got to elections, the more difficult it will become to implement such changes. And so we think that that is the best time to go ahead with the changes. A few concerns that were raised about the timing had to do with um, the impending parliamentary and presidential um, uh, primaries. And I guess they will not be impacted at all by the changes. One of the persons who is going to be, who has been changed, Dr. Aveji, is not going into, uh, going to come to parliament again. So it doesn't matter whether you have primaries or not. Um, the outgone minority leader, Honorable Haruna Idrusu, he's so powerful in his constituency, he's almost always not contested at all. I have my doubt whether anybody will contest him. So the only one person who would be contested is uh, Muntaka. And we didn't think that this change will uh, affect his fortunes one way or the other at all. And so we felt that this is the best time to undertake uh, those changes. If the concern is about the primaries, no, the advantages we gain by expedition far outweigh any uh, little concerns that people have about uh, uh, the timing. And to tell you what, it is always better to do the changes when Parliament is not in session. Why? Because after the announcement, you need one week or so to be able to effect other consequential changes before Parliament goes to sit. So if Parliament closes today and you announce the change this evening, tomorrow morning there will be chaos. Because you have to change the sitting arrangements. And it is not as important. You need about one week to work out new sitting arrangement for the... MPs. So that is part of the problem. The other is that you need to look at the committees and their leadership. 
those who have been appointed were ranking members for some committees. So in their absence, other people would have to fill the vacancies. So you need time to do all these things before Parliament goes to sitting. In fact, in March, one of the reasons why we, we, we couldn't make progress was that after we had planned the changes, um, everybody was expecting that the key uh, leadership will be in Ghana before the announcement. Around that time, President um, Mahama had traveled. So the argument was that, oh, the time is not right. Let's wait for President Mahama to come so we proceed with the announcement. The time President Mahama returned, Parliament had opened. And so the next argument was that let's wait for Parliament to go on vacation. By the time Parliament went on vacation, a new argument came that we have been overtaken by time, so let us keep them there for a while. You know, so it never got done. So there is no perfect time for any 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 uh, such move. Whatever the timing is, somebody will find something wrong with it. And you realize that even when we were about to announce this one to President Mahama was not in town. So if people and people still were arguing that because President Mahama was not in town. The implication is that he has not been consulted and all that. So whatever the timing is, people have something to say about it. And those who are claiming that nobody has been consulted, I want to tell them that this is one of the most, uh, the decisions over which they have been the most a consultative process. Everybody who needed to be consulted was consulted. But the decision is our decision. The decision cannot be the decision of the people who were consulted. I hope that is clear. If you have a responsibility of taking a decision, you take your decision after the consultation. So don't go blaming those people you have consulted. Because each of them will give you their views. And then you sit down to synthesize the views. And then your decision may reflect some of the wishes of some of the people who uh, gave the advice. But eventually it becomes your decision. The suggestions are mere raw materials for the decision. But the final product is your, 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 your work. And so as a leader, I take full responsibility for the decision. And uh, I don't want anybody to blame anybody at all for that decision. I take full responsibility for the decision. And I believe that I've done all the necessary consultation before taking that decision. And the only group we did not consult was the caucus, the parliamentary group. And it is for good reason. If the exercise was going to be done after an election, 
Then there is nobody in charge. You are now going to look for an identified talent for the new leadership. But if you are going to take a decision which will result in the removal of leadership, how are you going to call them and say, come and help me to remove you? (laughs) Nobody does that. No president consults with his cabinet about the decision to change members of the cabinet. And so it wasn't uh, uh, practical for you to call the leadership. Are you going to meet the caucus without the leadership you are going to change? Or you are going to meet them with the leadership? And who controls that meeting? So in such matters, you take the decision and inform them and justify that decision. And that is what precisely we have done. And we are meeting the caucus on Tuesday. And we believe that they will understand the reasons why those decisions have been taken. The words of John Sinasidu Nketia, national chairman of the National Democratic Congress, speaking on the reshuffle of parliament, at least on the minority side. That will be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umar Rusanda Amadou. Production by Beverly London, uh, Sami Wiafi Fretete Jabano. Technical support from Daniel Squashi. New media support from Edwin Kwakofi. We'll be back tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Up next, we'll bring you Footprint from Samuel Atta Mensa. Please stay with us. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973.